Well, now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. Listen for God's voice this morning as the Reverend Doug Mercer shares with us today's reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So many years ago, I went to seminary at Duke University an outstanding institution of basketball and higher learning. And back in those days when I was at Duke, each summer the seminary would put on a program for high school students. Each year they would invite high schoolers, United Methodist juniors and seniors from all around the country to apply to be part of something they called the Duke Youth Academy. And the idea was that these students would come to Duke University and they would spend two weeks on campus doing a deep dive into the Christian faith. Now, these high school juniors and seniors would come to Duke University and they would live on campus. They would take classes from seminary professors. They would worship and spend hours in prayer in the seminary chapel. They would go out into the community and they would meet pastors and they would meet community leaders and learn about ministries and things that were happening in the community. And this program, the Duke Youth Academy, was extremely selective. Each year, United Methodist students from all around the country applied to be part of the Youth Academy. And each year, only 50 students were chosen. Just a small fraction of all the students who applied were given the privilege of coming to the campus and being part of the Youth Academy. And every summer when it was time for this Youth Academy to take place, these juniors and seniors, these young people who had been selected because they showed potential as future leaders in the church and leaders in the community. They would come with their families to North Carolina. They would fly to North Carolina. They would drive to the Duke University campus. And then they would spend a few hours wandering around the campus and ooing and aahing at, at the gardens, 
and at the magnolia trees and at the Gothic architecture. They would spend way too much money on ball caps and t-shirts at the university bookstore. And then finally, these parents would drop off their students at the divinity school. They would leave these young people in the hands of all of these seminary professors and seminary students. And then all of those parents would get back in their cars and they would drive off to the airport and they would head for home. And it was at that moment when all of the parents were safely in their cars and headed in the other direction, it was at that moment that the Youth Academy staff would gather all of those students in the, in the seminary chapel. And then a professor would walk to the front of the room and he would stand in front of all of those students and he would give this speech. He would say, now that your parents are gone, let me tell you why you're really here. You see, your parents think that they have just dropped you off at a leadership seminar. The reason that your parents spent all of that time and energy and money bringing you here to Duke University is because they think that this is a program that will look good on your applications when you start applying for admission to the top universities. Your parents think that we're about to spend two weeks teaching you skills that you need to climb the ladder, to get into the best schools, so you can get the best jobs, so you can make the most money, so you can be the important people they've always believed you are. Your parents think they dropped you off here so we could teach you how to get ahead in life, he said. And if they knew, if they knew what we were really going to do for the next two weeks, if they understood what we are really about and what we are really doing here, then they would slam on the brakes and turn around and they would come and they would take you away from us. They wouldn't let us anywhere near you. Because the truth is, he said, for the next two weeks, our goal is not to teach you how to get ahead in life. Our goal over the next two weeks is to ruin your life in the very best way. We're not going to teach you how to climb the ladder, the professor would say. Our goal is that by the time you leave, you will have been so thoroughly trained in the way of Jesus that you won't even care about the ladder. Our goal is that by the time you leave this place, you will be so thoroughly trained in the way of Jesus that you will spend the rest of your life rescuing people who are stuck on the ladder and don't know how to get off it. This is the speech that, that they gave to students at the beginning of every session of the Duke Youth Academy. And then they would spend two weeks training students to look away from the ladder, to walk away from the ladder, not to put their foot on the first rung of the ladder, but instead to serve their community, to serve one another, to build up people around them, to be humble and gentle and to walk in the way of Jesus. And the remarkable thing is it worked. Year after year after year, it worked. Now those students, they went home and they applied to the very best colleges and universities, and they got into the very best colleges and universities because that's the kind of young people they were. They were always going to get into the, the most elite colleges and universities. But then, once they graduated from those colleges and universities, something remarkable happened. Over and over again, these students who had been part of this experience at the Duke University Divinity School chose when they graduated from college not to climb the corporate ladder. Instead, they became the kind of people who founded nonprofits. They became community organizers. Some of them went into politics, but they became the kind of politicians who were in it because they saw politics as a form of public service and not as a way to gain wealth and power and influence over other people. 
And over and over again, more than half of the students who went to the Duke Youth Academy ended up choosing a career in some kind of full-time ministry. Now the, the program still happens today. It's a little bit different than it was when I was in seminary, but the Duke Youth Academy still exists today. And still to this day, more than half of the young people who are part of that program end up with a career in full-time ministry of one sort or another. It's remarkable what the right speech at the right moment in someone's life can do to change the course of a life. I've been thinking about that speech this week and I've been thinking that all of us probably at some point or another in our lives need somebody to give us that speech. Need to tell us that it's okay not to climb the ladder. Need someone to tell us that there is a better way. And not only that, but I've been thinking that probably we, we who are in the church could use at least one sermon along those lines every year just to help us remember what we do, what we're about here. Because it is so easy for us to lose the plot. It is so very easy for us to forget who we are and what it is we're doing here. That's what happens in this morning's gospel reading. In today's gospel reading, we get a glimpse into a moment when the followers of Jesus lost the plot, when they forgot who Jesus was and what it was they were doing. And we pick up the story today at a moment when Jesus is approaching the end of his ministry. For three years now, Jesus has been traveling from place to place, from village to city to town. Everywhere he goes, Jesus heals people and teaches people the way of God. Everywhere he goes, Jesus says to people, there is a better way than the way of this world. And he invites people to walk in that way. And over the years, there have, there have been people who have watched the ministry of Jesus grow as they walked behind him and sat at his feet and learned from him. This ministry has grown and grown and grown beyond what anybody who started out with Jesus ever could have believed. Jesus started out with just a handful of fishermen. But now everywhere he goes, every time he walks into a city, thousands of people come and line the roads just to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And those disciples, those 12 disciples who have been with Jesus from the very beginning, now after three years of hard work, are beginning to sense that something big is about to happen. They're beginning to sense that, that all of those years of walking, walking long, hard, dusty roads, all of those years of going days and days without a good meal, all of those sleepless nights they spent out under the stars because they couldn't find a place to stay, all of the years, all of the effort, all of the energy that they put in is about to pay off. Now, they have always believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And now they can see that people in the crowds are beginning to believe it too. The disciples can hear people whispering and gossiping about Jesus. They can hear people saying that Jesus at any moment is going to march into the city of Jerusalem and declare himself king. People have such hopes for the ministry of Jesus. They hope that Jesus is about to usher in a new era of peace and prosperity. When the crowds gather around Jesus these days, you can feel a, a crackle of excitement and anticipation. And then, one day, Jesus stands up in front of the crowds and he makes an announcement. The time has come, he says. The time has come for us to go to Jerusalem. And then, in the very next scene of the Gospels, we find this conversation, this encounter between Jesus and a woman who comes to him 
It makes it request. Now, this woman was a follower of Jesus. Did you know that there were women in, in the crowds that followed Jesus? It's true. There were, there were women who were disciples of Jesus. Many rabbis didn't accept women as students, as disciples, but Jesus did. And so there were women who walked alongside him. It wasn't just the 12 disciples who learned from Jesus and sat at his feet. There were many others, and some of them were women. And some of the women who traveled with Jesus were supporters and benefactors. There were women who found the ministry of Jesus to be exciting and empowering, and they decided that they wanted to support this work that he was doing. And so they traveled with him and they made donations. They made sure that the disciples never went too many days without having a good meal. They would come into town and buy lunch for these people who were traveling with Jesus. Some of these women traveled with Jesus because they felt like he needed a little looking after. You can just imagine these women talking to each other about Jesus and they would say, well, he may be the Messiah, but he sure isn't much of an organizer. They would shake their heads at the way that Jesus just never seemed to plan anything in advance. He never thought through the most basic questions like, how are we going to feed all of these people? Where are we going to go tomorrow? Some of these women traveled with Jesus because they believed that he needed somebody to look after him, to take care of him. They were the organizers, the glue that held the ministry together. And it's one of these women who comes to see Jesus. Now this is one of the women who has been with Jesus from the very beginning. How do we know? We know because she's the mother of two of the 12 disciples. She's the mother of James and John. And this woman who has been following Jesus for three years comes to Jesus with James and John in tow. And she kneels down at his feet and she says, Teacher, I'd like to ask a favor. I would like for you to announce that when you are king, my sons, James and John, will sit beside you in your kingdom, one at your right hand and one at your left. Before we even go into Jerusalem, she says, I want you to announce to the disciples, announce to the crowds, that my sons will be your most trusted advisors, that they will be your chief of staff and your secretary of state. This is a, a big request. And this is a mysterious moment. The gospel doesn't tell us why this woman makes this request of Jesus. We don't know what her motives are. It may be that this is just one of those mothers who believes so strongly in her sons that she wants to make sure they have every chance of reaching their full potential and becoming the important people she knows they are. Maybe she's trying to advance their careers and maybe James and John are even embarrassed that she would come to Jesus and make this request on their behalf. On the other hand, maybe James and John put her up to it. Maybe this woman has some sort of a special relationship with Jesus. Maybe Jesus has taken her advice before. Maybe James and John figure that if the request comes from her, Jesus is more likely to give it consideration. Or maybe, maybe she thinks she's just trying to take care of Jesus and to help him out. Maybe this woman is thinking that the worst thing Jesus can do is march into the city of Jerusalem and declare himself king without first making it clear who is in the chain of command. Maybe this woman is thinking the last thing we need is for there to be a power struggle among the disciples just as Jesus is claiming power. And so she wants to make everything clear before they enter the city. We don't know. We don't know why this woman comes to Jesus, why she asks for this favor. What we do know 
is how Jesus responds. Jesus ever so gently brushes aside her request. And then he calls all of the disciples together and he makes a speech. He says, listen, I'm afraid that you all have forgotten what it is that we're about and what it is that we're doing here. Jesus says, all of these years you have walked behind me. You have sat at my feet. You have listened as I've taught people the ways of God. And it seems like just at the moment when it matters the most, just as we're about to enter the city of Jerusalem, you have forgotten everything I've taught you. You know that in other kingdoms, people are always seeking power. People are always striving to get ahead of each other. People are always trying to get a leg up on one another. And in other kingdoms, when people get ahead of each other, they lord it over each other. But it's not like that in my kingdom. In my kingdom, Jesus says, we don't climb the ladder. In my kingdom, Jesus says, there is no ladder. In my kingdom, he says, there is only a cross. And if you want to be great in my kingdom, then first you have to humble yourself. Greatness in my kingdom looks like serving one another. Greatness in my kingdom looks like giving your lives for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you signed up to follow me because you thought it was going to be a good career move, you've made a terrible mistake. I'm not trying to help you get ahead in life, Jesus says. I'm trying to ruin your life in the most wonderful way. And then, as soon as he finishes that speech, Jesus turns and he leads his disciples, he leads his followers into the city of Jerusalem. And there in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus is arrested. His enemies hang him on a cross. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, in this moment when most of his disciples have abandoned him, betrayed him, the gospel gives us this one beautiful detail. The gospel tells us that there was a handful of people who refused to leave his side. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, the gospel says, he looks down and he sees a handful of women. He sees a group of women who have chosen to be close to him in his moment of death. A group of women who have chosen to witness his death and to care for him up until the very end. And the gospel tells us that as he looks down from the cross, among that group of women, Jesus sees the mother of James and John. And then we see her again two days later on Easter Sunday morning. The same woman, the mother of James and John, is among the women who go to the cemetery to care for the body of Jesus. She's among the women as they discover that the tomb is empty. She's among the women as they discover that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And maybe in that moment, maybe then she suddenly, maybe then she finally realizes what it was Jesus was trying to teach them all along. Maybe then she finally understands that walking in the way of Jesus may not lead us in, into the places our parents would have chosen for us. But walking in the way of Jesus always, always leads to life one way or another. Walking in the way of Jesus always leads to the life that truly is life. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the courage 
to choose the way of Jesus. God, we pray that you would give us faith that we might walk in the way of Jesus. God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would ruin our lives in the most wonderful way. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.